All right, you guys can have a seat. Take your Bibles and open to Psalm 22. Can you guys hear me? Okay. I know, I'm not a loud person, right? For those of you that know me. Um, I just want to say it's such a privilege um, to be given the opportunity to preach here. Um, you guys know this church has been my whole life um, for 36 years. You guys are my family, and I love you dearly. So I'm thankful to God that I get this opportunity um, every year, and sometimes when Al and Kevin miss their flights. Um, uh, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, Pastor Andrew stated last week that because of the nature of our rotation for the elders, he always lands in the middle, and it's a reminder to him that he's the third child in his family. If it makes him feel better, I'm always before or after Bobby. So, it, and Bobby's pretty old. Um, so it just means I'm old. So I hope that makes you feel a little bit better about your, your position. Psalm 22. We're going to read the entire chapter. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, O oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, in you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let, them, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb, and you made me trust you at, the, at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform for those who fear him, before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations 
shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall all bow, all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for another Sabbath day of rest in, our, in the finished work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that your word would convict us, that it would strengthen us, that we may be sanctified by it because your word is truth. We pray that we would be sanctified into the image of Christ. Father, we do not weep over our sin as we ought to, and we don't ask for forgiveness as we ought to, and we don't hope in the gospel as we ought to because we are sinners. Father, we need Jesus this morning. We need your word now to sustain us. Father, thank you for the gospel that it has the power to save. Give us grace as we seek Christ in your holy scriptures, and we ask in the name of Jesus, our King and Elder Brother, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I don't know why um, I tend to use the same type of illustrations when I preach, but I hope you don't get too bored by it, so here we go, okay? i got to stay consistent, I guess. So all I could think of is why. Why is this happening to me? And why is this happening right now? Back in August of 2012, I had sustained an injury. I developed tendonitis in both of my knees, a condition called patellar tendonitis, or maiden's knee. It happens from prolonged periods of time on your knees, so in my case, it was from gardening. You guys know this has been my career. And at the time, my work consisted of 11-hour days, six days a week, just being on my hands and knees, cleaning and weeding through gardens. And over this time, even though I was wearing the proper protection um, in my work, um, my kneecaps were essentially crushing my patellar tendon while I would work, and it resulted in extremely painful, sharp sensations. The day that I had decided to leave work early um, due to this injury, um, I went to the urgent care, which was then followed up by MRIs, x-rays, and a few months of physical therapy. I remember early on in the injury, I did a test run at my home and I tried crawling on my hands and knees on a carpeted floor to see if it was still there and instantly felt the pain rush through my legs. I was devastated. Um, I began crying. Uh, My mom happened to walk in and she asked me what was wrong. I told her that I was worried about my career and if I was ever going to be able to do this kind of work anymore. I was, and still, as you guys know, I'm very passionate about what I do. Um, So when I came to this realization that I'll have to make a change, I was deeply upset. And I prayed, and I questioned, again, why is this happening to me? And I felt frustrated and lost. Psalm chapter 22 opens and closes in completely polar opposite ways. David opens with a cry of deep lament, but then the tone changes to faith and hope, and then eventually culminates in victory and deliverance and praise and glory to Yahweh. 
So what I want to do this morning is I want to break down Psalm chapter 22 into three distinct settings, and I want to apply them to three different groups. So for those of you taking notes, um, Psalm 22, we see agony, faith, and deliverance. Okay, again, we see agony, faith, and deliverance. And we're going to apply them to three different groups, to David, to Jesus, and the church. Okay, so that's going to be our outline for this morning. So Psalm 22, again, opens up with one of the most agonizing cries to Yahweh. There is no other statement in the Bible that is more anguished than the opening of Psalm 22. David, as the writer of Psalm 22, in his cry to Yahweh, he is expressing the most intense type of suffering any person could ever experience in a lifetime, and that's he's feeling abandoned by God. I know that in my own life, I've experienced great physical pain, emotional pain. Um, I know many of you in here have even felt greater situations of pain. Um, but nothing compares to the pain that is feeling as though Yahweh has abandoned you. David opens in verse 1 with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? And then verse 2 says, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. So what brought on this cry is that David is personally suffering in his own life. And not only due to his own sin, but that he also has enemies surrounding him, right? He's giving us these illustrations that he's being surrounded and tormented by his enemies. We see this in verses 6 and 7, and then verses 12 and 13, that he's being tormented by his enemies, Scripture says in verses 6 and 7, it says, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Verses 12 through 13 says, Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. And in verse 6, when David describes himself as a worm, I believe what he's doing is that he's attributing that description of himself to his own sin. David understands the depravity of his sin. He understands that it is sin that separates us from a holy and perfect God. It's because of his sin that he feels forsaken by God. He knew the story of Genesis 3 and how Adam and Eve fell in the garden and their sin separated from God's fellowship with them. But we know that David also has been described as a man after God's own heart. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, the Holy Spirit tells us, But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, his own heart speaking of David. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. David loved the law, and he loved Yahweh. He pursued after Yahweh. In the beginning of this series, Pastor Zach took us through Psalm chapter 1, and we see David even describing his passion for God's law. In Psalm chapter 1, verse 2, it says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Since David loved Yahweh and the law, a natural byproduct of following Yahweh is going to be opposition. And we see that where David has described, that, has described his enemies attacking him. And David is feeling so anguished, by God for being silent, for what he appears to be silent, he is writhing in pain from his suffering and is receiving no relief. That he feels as though he's come to this point of even death. 
If you look back in Psalm 22, verses 14 through 15, David writes, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me down in the dust of death. It seems as though that David has come to a state of complete and utter defeat. And we see this echo of death resonating from David. But we see the tone change, right? It doesn't stay this way. And we move to our next point, which is faith. David expresses faith in Yahweh despite feeling great suffering, or despite experiencing great suffering and great agony. He expresses faith in Yahweh. He remembers that Yahweh's faithfulness, he remembers Yahweh's faithfulness in his own life since birth and Yahweh's faithfulness to Israel. Um, if you look at how immediately David changes the tone in verses 3 through 5, he says, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. This is why it's essential for us as believers to be mindful and to remember Scripture, right? David had these stories um, on his mind and in his, in his heart. So he was reminded of God's faithfulness to him and to the nation of Israel. So despite feeling like a worm because of the depravity of his own sin and the consequences he's facing as a result of his sin, and despite that he's being tormented by his enemies, and he feels as though he's reached a point of death, he's trusting in Yahweh to deliver him. And even though at times Israel had been very, very unfaithful to Yahweh, Yahweh had continued to be faithful to them. David knew and understood the covenants that Yahweh made with Adam, with Noah, with Abraham and Moses. David knew that Yahweh would send someone through the seed of the woman to redeem them. David knew the promises of God. And he trusted in the Lord because of his goodness to him since birth. David, he records this in verses 9 through 11. Even after David describes his great lament over his sin, he says in verse 9, Yet you are he who took me from the womb, and you made me trust you at, the, at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. All of David's lifetime he has known nothing but God's goodness and his faithfulness. So what does David do in verse 11 as a response? Because of his feeling of forsaken by God, he pleads with Yahweh to be near to him. He says in verse 11, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. He says again in verses 19 through 21, But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. Why does David plead with God to be near to him? Because apart from Yahweh, he has nothing else to rely on. Again, he's reminded of God's faithfulness in his own life and to the nation of Israel, and he pleads with the Father to be near to him because he solely trusts in Yahweh. <clears throat> He knows that God is faithful, and David knows that he will be delivered. And David isn't just merely speaking in terms of his current situation, but he's also speaking in a way that looks forward to a new creation, 
David knew that what he was experiencing, the opposition and the affliction, um, comes from the seed of the serpent. It all stems from God's judgment in the garden. That there would be enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. But David also understood that the descendant from the seed of the woman would come into this world of enmity. He would have victory over it and he would bring blessing to the nations. But David didn't know exactly that Jesus would take the sins of the world on the cross. He didn't know that Jesus would be forsaken at the cross and die a physical death. But his words in Psalm 22 communicate that the descendant of the seed of the woman would solve all of the world's problems. That is sin and death. That he would have victory over it. So again, the tone changes. Now we see David expressing deliverance. Um, as, we said, as I said earlier, the opening and the closing of this psalm could not be more opposite than each other. Where David opens with an agonizing cry to Yahweh, begging for relief, we now see David praising Yahweh. We can only assume at this point that David has been relieved of his pain and that Yahweh has answered his prayer. David has been delivered. And we see this response in verses 22 through 31. Let's read that portion again. Verse 22 says, I will tell you, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him. Shall, before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. And now we see this shift, this entire portion, verses 22 through 31. Now it echoes resurrection. Remember earlier when I mentioned that David felt so defeated in verses 14 through 15 that he felt as if death had come upon him. And now we get to verse 22 and there's resurrection and new life. But I want to point out some language that he's using that is central to this passage. David doesn't write this psalm to only speak of his experience in his kingdom, but again, he's pointing forward to something better and something greater. Let's look at verses 28 through 31 again. He says, For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over all the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall all bow who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. At this time, David is king of Israel, right? However, David isn't glorifying his own kingdom, but rather he's exalting the kingdom of God. David doesn't know what this kingdom will look like. He doesn't know who that king exactly is. 
He just knows that Yahweh is going to establish something greater. And I love how David caps off the psalm in verse 31. He says, and he has done it. Doesn't that language sound familiar? So, we've dissected this entire psalm, right? We've pulled it apart. But we wouldn't be very good Christians if we didn't ask ourselves and answer, or ask and answer one very important question. Why did Jesus have to die in order for this psalm to be true? Psalm 22, right next to Isaiah 53, is one of the clearest foreshadows of Jesus going to the cross. Jesus on the cross even quotes the opening of Psalm 22. Pastor Kevin read our call to worship from Matthew 27, verse 45 through 50. Verse 46 tells us, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some scholars say that the entire psalm of of chapter 22 is what Jesus was literally thinking as he was going to the cross. Um, I don't think that's inappropriate to think that. However, it seems a bit of a stretch. What we do know is that Jesus, the suffering servant, went to the cross and suffered the wrath of God for our sin. Where David felt the weight of his own sin, he suffered but did not die in Psalm 22. Jesus fulfilled the promises of God by enduring the wrath of God, even to the point of death for our sin. Jesus did what David could not do, that is, live a sinless life by being obedient to the law and then making himself the perfect and final sacrifice for the sins of the elect. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Pastor Andrew explained last week from Psalm 8 how Jesus the incarnate came to earth and was made, quote, a little lower than heavenly things. From eternity past, it has always been plan A for Jesus to step down from heaven to come to earth in the flesh. And again, we see so many clear parallels and foreshadows from Psalm 22 in various areas of the Gospels. David describes being mocked and tormented by his enemies and that they are casting lots for his clothing. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. And we're going to read verses 27 through 31, and then verse 35. The Holy Spirit tells us, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, And put a reed in his right hand, and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him, and they took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, and put his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. Verse 35 says, And when they had crucified him, they had divided his garments among them by casting lots. John chapter 19, verses 23 through 24, actually cites Psalm 22, concerning Jesus' clothes, it says in verse 23, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom, and they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lot for it, 
lots for it, to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So we know and understand that scripture is inerrant, it is infallible, and we believe these truths to the point of even reciting creeds and confessions together about these truths. This morning, Pastor Andrew read from the Nicene Creed, which states, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and of the Virgin Mary and was made man. He was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate, and he suffered and was buried. Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we hear echoes of this passage, even when we sing the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, How Great the Pain of Searing Loss, The Father Turns His Face Away. For a split moment in his life, Jesus experiences being forsaken by God the Father. And Psalm 22 points forward to that agony that Christ experienced on our behalf. But you might be thinking, if our second point is about hope and how David trusted in Yahweh in his suffering, then how does this relate to Jesus? How does Jesus fulfill Psalm 22 in such a way? Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 26. And we're going to read verses 34 through 39. Matthew 26, verses 34 through 39, the Holy Spirit tells us, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with them Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So now why was Jesus asking God the Father this question? Because the cup that he was referring to was full of God's wrath and sin. And that it would have to be consumed to the very last drop in order for all the law and the prophets to be fulfilled. And we have to understand that though Jesus is truly God, he is also truly man. So when he says, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, to put it another way, he's basically saying, if there is literally any other way, to fulfill this messianic prophecy, let's do that instead. But I can't trust my own will, yours only. Jesus did not sin while he was suffering for our sake. He did not doubt his father while he suffered. He trusted and obeyed God's will to the point of even death. John chapter 6, verse 38 says, Jesus is telling us, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. His entire mission was to fulfill the will of the Father, to be perfectly obedient to him. Jesus succeeded where David did not, because Jesus loved and trusted God the Father perfectly. But just as Yahweh answered the prayers of David, and he delivered him from his pain and his torment, by his death and resurrection, Jesus has delivered his bride, the church, out of slavery to sin and has, and has redeemed them for, for all eternity. Jesus is better than David because by his wounds we are healed. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. 
Jesus, the suffering servant and true king, went to the cross for the sins of the elect, died, was buried in a tomb, and rose from the dead on the third day. Jesus conquered death by his own death, and he rose from the dead because death could not contain him. Again, if you continue in the Nicene Creed, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father, he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. We actually just sang a song that cites this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12 says, For our sake he made him to be, no, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Though the Father turned his face away, though Christ became a curse on the cross, it pleased the Father to crush him because it was for the sake of fulfilling all righteousness. And in his, in his life and in his death, so that those who trust in Christ by faith may walk by faith and die knowing well that the righteousness of Christ has spared them from the wrath of God. Now, some of you might be asking, well, what does it mean to trust Christ by faith? Faith consists of three facets, knowledge, assent, and trust. First, you must know who Jesus is and what he did. You must know that the Bible is one story and that the entire Bible is about Jesus. You must know that God has made a covenant with his elect, and all of them, have, all the covenants have their yes in Jesus. You must know that Jesus came to the earth in the flesh, lived a perfect and sinless life, that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, that he went to the cross, that his hands and feet were pierced, that he died on a cross, was physically buried, and that he physically rose again the third day according to the scriptures. But that's not enough. You must actually assent to the validity of these truth claims. You must actually believe that what the Bible says about Jesus to be true. And then lastly, you must transfer your trust to Jesus Christ for the sake of your soul. So the gospel message goes out. If you're not trusting in Jesus Christ this morning for the salvation, for salvation of your soul, I plead with you and beg you, take Jesus Christ by faith this morning. It is the most important decision you will ever make if you are not trusting him by faith. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is a guarantee. This is why we are here every week. We practice these things because we believe these things to be true. As we just did in our confession, we understand that God is faithful and he is just. So when the Bible says that if you confess these things, you will be saved, it's the truth. It's going to happen because God is faithful. So again, I beg of you this morning, take Christ by faith. So now Jesus, we understand, again, Jesus is truly king because he accomplished what David could not. Kingship truly belongs to Jesus. Where David ruled over one nation as a representative of Christ, Jesus currently rules over the cosmos by his death, his resurrection, and ascension. And he is currently seated at the right hand of the Father Almighty. David acknowledges this at the end of Psalm 22, uh, verses 28 and 31 again, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over all nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. 
even to the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him, and it shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Again, David is pointing forward to something greater and something better. And future generations are going to talk about it. They're going to be told about it. John chapter 19, verse 30 says, Jesus at the cross, it says, When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It's done. The work is completely done. Every letter in Psalm 22 came to full fruition through our Lord, Savior, and King Jesus Christ. Jesus, by his death and resurrection, fulfilled the law and the prophets. He satisfied the wrath of God. He ascended to heaven, and now his kingdom is currently in session. To which we can say, praise be to God. Now, by way of application, how does this apply to us, the church? Number one, in light of Psalm 22, remember that following Christ means we will share in the reproach of Christ. Jesus did not come in the flesh and drink the cup of wrath so that our lives can be more comfortable. There will be times of suffering due to our own sin. There will be times of suffering due to persecution. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 13 says, Therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Sometimes that even means there will be times when we feel like God has forsaken us. We'll feel alone. We'll feel miserable because it seems as though God is not near. We may even feel exactly how David felt. And we might even cry to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? John Calvin said on this topic of feeling forsaken, There is not one of the godly who does not daily experience in himself the same thing. According to the judgment of the flesh, he thinks he is cast off and forsaken by God, while yet he apprehends by faith the grace of God, which is hidden from the eye of sense and reason. We may go through times of feeling forsaken, but we hold on tight to the grace of God because we know it is sure. Suffering for Christ is a normal aspect of the Christian life. Peter said not to be surprised when you face fiery trials. Yahweh told Joshua in Joshua 1 that he would not leave him nor forsake him. And the same applies to the church. The Holy Spirit indwells you. He indwells us, and he will sustain us to the very end. Number two, when you suffer for Christ, suffer well, and do not sin, but turn to prayer. Suffering for the cause of Christ should always lead us to prayer. Whether repentance or we need provision, go to the Father in prayer. When David felt agonized and tormented, he didn't trust in his own instincts. He didn't trust in himself. He didn't rely on himself to persevere. He went to the Lord in prayer and begged him to be near to him, to not be far off. You know what else is super helpful for the believer? Actively participating in the weekly means of grace given to us by God. Go to church on Sundays. Be here on Sunday. Sing loudly to King Jesus. Recite the creeds and confessions. Confess your sin to your great high priest who makes intercession for you. Hear the word preached to you and be refreshed. Take the table and say thank you to Jesus because he has secured your salvation and hope by his works. 
Repeat this weekly, right? Wash, rinse, repeat. As Pastor Brett said a few weeks ago, kiss the sun. Delight in him. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Why? Because our understanding will deceive us. We cannot rely on our flesh to make our own decisions. We need to go to the Lord. We need to trust in the Lord and we need to worship him weekly. Often when we sing the song, In Christ Alone, I was reminded of this portion. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, and my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fears of drought and storm. Trust and hope in the Lord. And lastly, our last point of application. Rejoice and give praise to God that Christ has finished the work for you. For salvation, God only requires that we repent and believe. The response then is to go and walk in light of the gospel. God does not say, obey and you will be saved. You have to flip that. He says, be saved. That is, repent and believe the gospel. Now go and obey. Give praise in such a way that people around you know that you trust in God the Father, that he has saved you, that he has delivered you from the realm of darkness into his marvelous light. Serve King Jesus in every area of your life, in your homes, in your work, in the body of Christ. Suffering will eventually make way for glory in the new kingdom, and it will all come to an end, and Jesus alone is, alone is worthy to be praised. So I think you guys know the outcome of my own personal story. Um, I rebounded, and I continued my career, and it's only been better since then. The Lord delivered me from what seemed like a very dark time in my life, but that's only because he is faithful and he is holy. There is nothing I could have done on my own to achieve the same outcome, but he was faithful and still is because our king is in session. He is sovereign over all things. So church, do not lose heart because our king is coming back. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, we ask that you give us grace as we now sit at your table to say thank you to King Jesus because he alone has done it. Father, we ask these things in the name of King Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Church, you may now rise and go to the table.